taste of Melbourne's diverse poetry scene. Poets using their voices to entertain, to move, to take you on a journey. Connecting you to grassroots poetry and performance. Good morning, welcome to Spoken Word on 3CR. My name is Tina Janukas. 3CR broadcasts from the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. I acknowledge elders past and present. Today on the show I have Amanda Anastasi. Amanda needs no introduction. She is known to poets throughout Australia as a convener of La Mama Poetica. She is also a poet in her own right and over the past several years she has made climate change a focus of her work. Amanda, welcome to the program. Hi, Tina. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure, Amanda. Over the past several years, you've made climate change a central part of your poetic practice. What's driving this urgent ecological sensibility in your poetry? Uh, I had a poetry residency that went from 2019 to 2020, where my task was to write poems uh, and tell stories about the climate crisis based on climate science. How did you actually get into that residency? I'd been writing poems about extinction and sort of the clash between humans and nature and that disconnect for a while. Uh, And I was at a reading. I read a poem. It was actually a futuristic poem set in an environment where frogs were no longer in the ecosystem Uh, and a few other poems, uh, similar poems. And uh, a member of the hub happened to be at that reading and encouraged me to apply for this residency, which was completely new. Uh, They are interested in bringing in multidisciplinary artists, professionals uh, to communicate climate change because scientists aren't communicators, well, most of them are are researchers. Some of them can communicate, but it isn't their job. And how do we get everyday people to engage with climate science in a way that they can understand? They're not going to sit down and read an IPCC report. They're concerned with other things in their lives. How How do we reach them? And that's what the hub is all about. The IPCC is the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. uh, And there have been a few reports. uh, And the latest report uh, tells us that we need to keep greenhouse emissions, greenhouse gas emissions, below 1.5 degrees Celsius. uh, And that is if we do not want to suffer the, you know, the extreme weather and the um, consequences of the climate crisis and it looks like we will be going above that so it is an urgent issue. You mentioned that uh, scientists aren't communicators but they are communicating their research to fellow scientists. How is poetry an intervention in that agenda of scientists? Well people respond to stories. Uh, They don't respond as well to being told what they should or shouldn't do or what they should believe or not believe. And the science is clear, but how do we get people to feel something about the science? Uh, we do this by telling stories. My poetry is very imagistic, is, you know, strong images. What I try to do is bring people into an experience or a, a scene, uh, bring the front lines of climate change to them. As part of that uh, residency, I understand that you wrote some poems. Mm -hmm. So would you like to share some of those poems with us and uh, tell us uh, a little bit about their motivation? So the first one I'm going to read uh, is called The Invasion. It's based on several uh, news reports of 
uh, polar bears wandering through Russian villages from the Arctic. They're starving. They are, you know, malnourished. And you can imagine if you're in a, a village and you see a polar bear passing by in the street or near your home, that it is uh, quite a scary, um, a scary experience. The invasion. As though the curb were the edge of sea ice, it lifts one heavy, reluctant foot to the asphalt, lumbers across the road with the combined grit and desolation of a depleted predator as cars swerve and circle around it. Later, another is seen lurking behind a block of flats. It peers into a window, fixated on a woman cleaning and slicing fish. She slams the blind shut, though a marked shadow of the animal's jowl and saucepan-sized paw is still visible on the curtain. Another staggers over the mountain of discarded bottles and cartridges at the local tip. It sniffs a car battery and sinks its teeth into a chunk of styrofoam. The next day, children are marked late or absent from school, and all who leave their homes move to and from their vehicles with a ready vigilance. The stories are spreading of a bear wandering into a doctor's reception and the council hallway, undeterred by signals, dogs, patrol cars or electric fences. Later, the townspeople crowd around a third polar bear lying on the pavement with a tranquilizer in its side. Arrangements are being made to airlift it back to the Arctic, where again it will not be able to stand at the edge of sea ice, will not catch a seal for nourishment. It will stumble and wearily drag itself, then turn and head back to the village. Did you come across a news report of that? I came across an image, and I think a lot of people may have seen this image of a polar bear on this tiny piece of Arctic ice. You know, the ice is melting, as we know. And, and then I just did a lot of research on you know, what is happening up there in the Arctic, the polar bears. And there were several reports, I think 2017, 28, but there's multiple incidences of them wandering down to Russia from the Arctic, uh, searching for food. And yeah, it's just absolutely terrified uh, local communities there. But you have a lot of detail in the, uh, in the poem. So that detail, where did you build that detail from? Well, I'm very concerned about the domestic experience. People can understand that you know, it will disturb our day-to-day -day lives. You know, climate change isn't something that's happening to polar bears. It will affect us. We are all connected. And I wanted to put people in that experience of seeing a polar bear peering in at a window at you. It's pretty scary. And the way climate change is finding, winding its way into our lives. And I thought that was a very strong image um, to demonstrate that. On the uh, website of the Monash Climate Change Communication Research Hub. You've got several uh, one-line poems. I'd love listeners to hear some of these poems, but uh, first, could you tell us about the form? Why one-line poems? I'd been writing one-line or monastitch poems uh, before the residency. It excites me to write in such a condensed form. Uh, it's a challenge for me. It can be very powerful kind of like a hook or a, you know, it's like a, a whole story in one line and I like the idea of 
reading a one-line poem and someone just sort of interpreting it in their own way and walking away thinking about it uh, because it's so condensed. I enjoyed Ian McBride's Slivers, which is an entire collection of one-line poems, and that was what was, was my introduction to one-line poems. And, of course, there are other poets that have, have written in that form. Uh, with climate change, the hub is looking for ways to communicate climate change in short messaging. So it was a perfect fit for what they were trying to do. Well, let's hear some of those one-line poems. So the one-line poems I'm going to start with were written during the 2019 to 2020 bushfires. So I wrote these while it was happening. The beachgoers wear blankets and masks. The koala that survives cannot find a leaf. He signs the agreement on a burning desk. The leather interior is ruined by the melting roof. A fire siren is sounding from a magpie's mouth. The ash is on all of our hands. As you were reading them, I was thinking of them as reports from the front line. Is that how you conceived them? Yeah. I was asked to write them as soon as possible. And I was specifically asked to write one about the koala if I could. And I didn't know if I could. I was watching footage of the bushfires, you know, which was quite depressing and you need breaks from that sort of thing. But that's the only way I could write them to actually be watching it and feel like I was there, uh, which of course I wasn't, but it meant, you know, looking at a lot of footage. And that way I could sort of find the images and interesting ways of using them. The koala poem, you know, that that is about the multi-pronged threat to the koala. It's not just that the koala survived the bushfire. The koala also you know, it's home, deforestation, even the gum leaves have, have less, less nutrients uh, because of climate change. There are so many threats to that one species. My favourite one was the magpie poem. Mm-hmm. That one, you can find it on YouTube. Uh, there's a magpie, it's on a suburban fence in Newcastle, and the magpie is, is just imitating so perfectly the sound of a fire siren, and I was just fascinated with that. Do you have more of these one-line poems? I do. I do. The bath is empty in a flooded house. The children play tag in the floodwaters. The people of the sea are moving inland. Butterfly fish hover over white coral. The whale pauses its singing as a ship passes. The wildflowers think it is spring. A bee lands on a nectarless flower. Are these also on the uh, website of the Monash Research Centre? Yes. These were somewhat different to the earlier Mm. ones you read. How did these ones come about? Each one came about um, from in a different way. Obviously the butterfly fish, I had the Great Barrier Reef in mind. Uh, The people of the sea, there's actually a community in the Pacific Islands called Wani e Asi, which actually means people of the sea, and they are moving inland. So it's, it is something that is actually happening as we speak. The wildflowers think it is spring, you know, the, the shifting seasons, the late uh, seasons. Um, and, you know, there's certain species that, that cannot adjust uh, and, you know, 
missing their food source and, and all sorts of things that are happening where the ecosystem is, is uh, affected. Uh, a bee lands on a nectarless flower, you know, again, the seasons aren't quite right. And, you know, just the image of children playing tag in the floodwaters. I mean, the idea of children playing, they will find a way to enjoy themselves and to play whatever the environment is. But it is not ideal, obviously. As you're um, writing these poems, I'm wondering what's happening to you as a poet. I mean, are you looking for material or is it that, uh, you know, you've immersed yourself in the science of climate change and it's become such a part of your life that these poems are springing forth? It's both at different times. I have immersed myself in the climate science and the stories, but you know, when if I'm attending, for instance, a climate science lecture, which was part of my residency, I could sit and listen to what was happening. It was then for me to find the stories in that, which is not always easy uh, because it's all data and uh, you know science. But I do respond well to images. Uh, once I find a story or an image, then I I think on it um, and sort of put myself in that scenario and make it real through detail. Wildlife Victoria is a non-profit wildlife emergency response service dedicated to helping wildlife in need across Victoria. Our volunteers rescue and rehabilitate sick, injured and orphaned wildlife. If you see wildlife that may need our help, on the road, in your backyard or in the bush, please contact us immediately on 84007300. That's 84007300. To donate or to become a volunteer, visit wildlifevictoria.org.au. A 3CR supporter. Welcome back. I'm Tina Janukas and you're listening to Spoken Word on 3CR. Today I'm speaking with poet Amanda Anastasi, who's also the convener of La Mama Poetica, about her climate change poetry. Poets have always written about nature, you know, extolling its beauties, praising the seasons or suffusing the self with nature. What's different about climate change poetry? Well, in many ways, it is still doing that. I think, you know, if you look at the romantic poets, it was very much about the connection between humans and nature, that, you know, we are better human beings when we are connected to nature, and that is very much part of my writing, that message. With climate poetry, it's much more urgent, Uh we write about nature in a, in a more uh, urgent way, but there is this feeling that something isn't quite right. And I think with all my poems, there is that feeling of this, this isn't the way it should be. There is a disruption in the ecosystem. There is something that's not feeling right. I, I, it really is about making people feel uncomfortable about that, and they should, and, and the people that are on the front lines do. Uh, so I want people to feel uncomfortable and I want people to, you know, in, in a way feel a bit sad about it, but also feel inspired to uh, do something about it. Um, but the first step in doing something is feeling something. And so I think poetry can get people to feel. Well, that was certainly what the romantics thought when mm. they went up against the the rational over the mm. imagination. So what is mm. it you're feeling yeah, I mean, it is kind of a, the rational and the imagination. There's a little bit of imagination involved when you're storytelling. But all of it had to be science-based. 
So I, I, I couldn't write anything that had no basis in science or what, something that was actually happening. Uh, I think it's important to do both. I think we have to imagine new ways of um, interacting with nature. We need to imagine new ways of moving forward. You know, the Industrial Revolution has been devastating <laughs> uh, for the natural world and our connection with it. And it is and it will affect us. And that's the overall message, I think, that I'm trying to get across is that it's not separate from us. It's not just something that animals are experiencing or people in the bush are experiencing. I mean, even in the bushfires, we could smell the smoke from Melbourne. We rely on, you know, food sources, you know, fish. And, you know, if we pollute our oceans, it will end up in our plates. Uh, so I'm always trying to find new ways of helping people understand that strong connection, that we are part of the ecosystem. Let's have a poem that speaks to these um, feelings and ideas. So the next poem is Bat Piles, and this, again, is based on multiple uh, reports of um, heat waves wiping out entire populations of, or huge populations of flying foxes in southeast Queensland and northern New South Wales. Bat Piles. The wildlife officer moves into the woodland, steps between the crooked carpet of winged limbs, the stiff cloaks swathing brown bodies. He looks out at the row upon row of flying foxes, lifeless or starved to motionlessness, each reduced to lay at the level of a human heel. He silently considers the furnaces of the trees to have seared the creatures from their perches and demoted them to a crunch and unevenness underfoot. He considers the one mammal capable of flying and its label as pest and rodent. The raising of it to gothic emblem and the muse of superheroes. Its replication in plastic for children's showbags and arcade knickknacks. In Boona, Palmwoods, Laidley and Gatton. Here too, they are inanimate. Their slitted eyes are sealed their light bodies swiftly dropped in council rubbish bags in response to complaints of the stench of carcasses and the fingers and ankles bitten by frantic teeth. Do you have a relationship to flying foxes? I'm fascinated by them. I always hear them in the, in the Melbourne parks. I just think, you know, every creature is, is precious really, but I, I just, just the idea of these small creatures just... Thousands and thousands of them just decimated. It's just uh, an overwhelming thought to me. And the idea of, uh, you know, local people complaining about the smell and, uh, yeah. You know, in most of my poems, there is a, a human in there. I want the human being to be present because it's the footprint. It's, the, it's what's causing all of this. And the idea of the wildlife, wildlife officer thinking about what's happening. And, and that's what I want people to do. Uh, to ponder on this and, and what it might mean and, and yeah and I enjoy mentioning plastic a lot because you know that's another environmental uh, thing that we seem to oh that's a disaster <laughs> yeah beyond poetry how do you express concerns about climate change I have uh, taken part in protests so I uh, I'm involved with the school strike for climate so I'm a marshal in that and, you know, the role of that is to make sure the kids are safe. You know, they take time off school to, to march in these 
uh, protests and there's something really special about children uh, protesting and you can tell that they really feel something. They're not just trying to get a day off school. They, they really are worried about the future, their future. Uh, so I've done marshalling uh, three separate occasions at protests and, you know, I try to uh, uh, live a life that is, you know, uh, considering more sustainable ways um, of doing things. Uh, so there's, you know, looking at myself and what I can do uh, to be less wasteful. So what is that? Oh, you know, not uh, using as much plastic and also just making sure I know where um, where I bank that it's not funding oil and gas projects. And same with super. I mean, a lot of people, if they change their super fund or who they bank with, they will they will no longer be funding oil and gas projects. Would you like to read another poem? I would. This poem uh, is called Loggers Post Fire. This was written uh, or is set immediately after the bushfires, January 2020, where loggers moved in to um, areas of forest where, you know, it was still recovering from the fires and they went in too early, according to a lot of people. This is called Loggers Post Fire. Victoria, January 2020. Before renewal can begin its certain work in the tree heads, before new green can sprout or flourish, again they enter. From a dark tree hollow, a glider peers out to a place where destruction had swept the trees and marsupials bolted to the hills, their limbs burning. The machines now border the remaining tree ferns, making flat newly germinating plants. They begin their task of removing rotting timber, the food for insects, the shelter for plants and fungi, currently nourishing bandicoots. They make their dent into the way of things, disrupting soil that will bring the next yield, the next birth from black. After the shouts in fluoro and vehicles have retreated, the quietude and inevitable stirrings return to the double disturbed land. With all that you know about uh, climate change, are you optimistic for the future of the planet or are you pessimistic? It's hard not to be pessimistic. It really is. I think uh, it's better than what it was. People are more aware. Less politicians are climate deniers now because they can't get away with that anymore. But instead, they engage in climate delay, you know, delay on action. One of my concerns is that there are so many problems in the world right now that people are sort of forgetting about the climate crisis. Uh, but this is something that never goes away. It would be helpful if the media covered it a lot more. Uh, I feel hopeful that we're moving in the right direction. I just don't think we're moving fast enough. Uh, so I'm pessimistic, but I'm happy with a lot of the, uh, you know, more of what is happening now as far as investment in renewables and, yeah. I hope for the best. How do you think poets should approach climate change in their own poetry? I don't expect poets to, to, to write about it as directly and overtly as I have. Um, I think a lot of poets are writing about it in different ways, um, increasingly so, which is great to see. I was on a panel once and uh, with a climate novelist called uh, James Bradley, and he said that everybody is a climate writer because we all write with this consciousness of what is happening to 
you know the ecosystem and the planet and it's um and it you know it kind of creeps into people's writing uh in many ways uh i think every writer has a different way of approaching it i feel that it is uh mentioned more uh by poets i would like to see more people write about it i i think it it can only uh create a sense of um urgency a sense of um a concern about the environment and our place in it i think we need to reconnect with nature i think even writing poetry about connecting and reconnecting with nature is important even if you're not broaching the subject of climate change would you like to read a poem so this poem is called charlotte in a natural habitat it's set in the year 2042 early summer the premise is that uh, this is a young child who has not set foot on grass before and this could be for various reasons it could be that it's been so hot that there's been some kind of order that you know you can't go outside yeah i envision a future where we will be conducting more of activities indoors and there will be times where we will not be allowed to go outside go to parks um, because it will actually be dangerous for us that's a very sad look for humanity It is. It is. We keep going the way we are. That's the sort of thing that will be happening. Our activities will be more curated. We will have to go outside in a more organized way. Mm. I mean, people don't even think of this, but you know, it will be happening. Let's um, have the poem. Charlotte in her natural habitat. After a hot morning, unexpectedly clarified with rain, and once dew had settled on the lightly shook leaves, she was led out by hand to a wallless space. unhurried yet purposeful her headset shoes and mask removed suddenly alert her eyes darted to the soft sky as though she were entering a new yet familiar portal her feet met a padded ground less tightly woven than carpet and firmer than a mat and without pause threw herself into the green each blade when taken between the fingers seemed a cross between cotton and the porous skin of a cheek the air itself was open punctuated by both distant and near snippets of bird song their mum could not say what kind of bird it was that repeated that upward mischievous invitation and seemed to betray a knowledge that all was possible and laughably easy as the heat began its return she asked when she'd be taken again to the secret garden and the magical setting of her many story books and films mum said yes again of course with eyes averted and dimmed as she could not say when that is such a dystopian future i would love to hear another poem that brings home to us what you've been talking about so this is another poem set in the future and as i was mentioning before uh our outdoor activities may be slightly more organized curated uh and this is a poem that very much goes into that idea uh this is called the nostalgia of trees beneath the oak tree i join the ready gathering who come to know the silk of sun through leaves and the gentle rouse of breeze our devices have been removed and an easy silence is falling some have come in fluoro and others with lanyards waiting as though for a vital word some are synchronous with the branches sway returning to a former version of themselves the children fixate 
on the slightly shifting leaves and do not need to be shushed. I imagine my grandmother, younger, at picnics, without the disruption of extreme weather notifications, her children carving messages into the tree's trunk or in the dirt near its base. Those that stay the longest begin to understand. They liken the sound of the wind through the leaves to the collapse of a wave or a chiffon skirt falling to the floor, though it is not noise we hear, but something akin to silence. A delicate hand reached out, a pardon, a candid invitation. When the trees make their conveyance, all present receive an answer, and not the one they seek. To each one, the message is different. Thank you, Amanda. Thank you for having me, Tina. It's been a pleasure. I'm Tina Janukas, and you've been listening to Spoken Word on 3CR. Today, I've been talking with poet and convener of La Mama Poetica, Amanda Anastasi, about her climate change poetry. Spoken Word broadcasts on Thursdays on 8.55am or you can download the podcast. Amanda's collection, The Inheritors, which contains much of her climate change poetry, is available from Black Pepper Publishing. Thank you for listening.